anoint your word to us today and Lord really glean from it as it challenges us to uh, get involved in the ministries Lord because each one of us has gifts and talents that you have given us to use for your glory and honor so bless this word today we pray in your name amen all right so uh as we continue our study in Romans 12, let me just do a quick recap so that everybody's up to speed. Uh, as I said last week, the first eight chapters of the book of Romans really is the doctrinal section of the book. It goes through the fundamentals of all men falling short of the glory of God, Jesus coming, a righteousness that comes from Christ, an imputed, imputed righteousness by faith into him. So it's considered the doctrinal section, really lays down the foundations of the Christian faith. Then in chapters 9 to 11, we call that the national section as the Lord speaks to the children of Israel, that there always has been a remnant of Jews who believe by faith looking forward to the cross. There is a remnant now, and there will be a remnant in the future, and there'll come a time when all Israel will be saved. All righty? At the end of the tribulation period, they will put their faith in Almighty God. And you can read uh, Zechariah chapters 12 to 14. Oh, there he is. There he is. There's the chef. Good morning, Dominic. Thank you again for yesterday. I didn't see you sitting there before. Yes. All right. Now, as we enter chapter 12 and go through chapter 15, verses 1 to 13, commentators call this the practical section. And this is where it really, uh, Paul's going to lay the foundation for practical Christian living. Like he gave us the doctrinal stuff. We understand Israel's going to be saved, but how do we do this thing that you call Christianity? And he's going to outline that. And last week in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, we looked at the first relationship that Paul speaks to, and that's the relationship between us and the Lord. All right, and it says that uh, in those verses that we should be living sacrifices. And as we looked at that, what that means is that we are no longer to conform to the patterns of this world. We have to put to death the old man, the flesh that was still housed in, and be transformed into the image of Christ. How? By being in the word of God, understanding what he desires of us, being in fellowship with one another, being in prayer, and being under the ministry, hearing the word of God taught, but then also getting involved in ministry. Because as I said last week, when you get and you teach or you're involved in ministry, you're looking into the word of God and you're pouring into someone else. So you grow by being involved in ministry. Amen? And then uh, I got a little bit ahead of myself, but that's okay. And then there'll come a point... Um, when, and this point is called progressive sanctification. We know through the word that when we put our faith in Christ, we're positionally sanctified, sanctified. But now it's the progressive sanctification to become how we are children of God. And what will be has not been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So we are in the molding process of the master potter right now. He's molding us into the image of his son through this journey, through this life. But there will come a day when we will, as we studied in Sunday school this morning, be given our glorified bodies and we'll be like him because we shall see him as he is. Amen? But we're working towards that process. Positionally, we're sanctified already, but progressively, we're becoming more like Christ. And so now Paul has given us instruction about our relationship with God. He will go on in the next few chapters and deal with some significant relationships within the church. First, he's going to deal with the believer and their relationship to the church itself. Amen? Then he's going to go through and look at the relationship to society and unbelievers, the relationship to government and those in authority over us, and finally, our relationship with other believers, how we're supposed to interact one with the other. So let's get into the second 
relationship Paul instructs us on, and it's this relationship that we're going to find in Romans 12, beginning at verses 3 to 8. And within these verses, Paul will discuss the marvelous truth that although the Lord God calls out his servants, his disciples, listen carefully, to a common commission, we have a common commission as believers to serve him, right? He will, we'll also see that he wants to equip us, equip us through the diversity that we have as believers. So though he wants unity and conformity to the commission of the gospel, there's the mission, all right? We're not all hands, we're not all feet. We're multidimensional, we're multi-personalities, et cetera, working together to fulfill what God has for us, all righty? So we have to have this understanding that there is unity for the gospel but diversity in service. We all have different personalities, gifts, talents, and abilities, but with all those diversities, the Lord desires unity and not division to complete his will. Family, listen, there's only one Lord to glorify, one body to edify, and a host of people who need to be sanctified. And that is the mission of the church, to go out there and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the threefold mission of the church. Glorify God, edify the believers, reach the lost. So that's the commonality between the body of believers, but we all have diverse gifts and talents that the Lord desires we use to do that. And, um, and as Paul stated in verse 2, as we looked at last week, we're supposed to be living sacrifices. In other words, we put to death the flesh to be transformed into his image, but we also put ourselves on the altar to be used by him for his glory and honor and for the benefit of each other. Amen? As, praise God. Christian, got to say that someone truly can't say they're a committed Christian if they're inactive in service to the king. Do you hear what I'm saying? We must use, or we're born to use, our gifts and talents to glorify him. And as we shall see, our absolute usefulness to the Lord will depend on three things. Listen carefully. A proper attitude, a proper relationship to the Lord and to others, and a proper response to our service. So with that said, please turn to Romans 12, uh, and we're going to begin at verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3. <clears throat> and it reads, for the bright, for the, By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. What I want you to see here initially is, is Paul addressed. He begins with this, by the grace given me. In other words, by the grace of God, the call on his life to be an apostle, he says, by the grace given me, I've outlined the doctrinal foundations of the scriptures. But now by that same grace given to me, now that you understand salvation and have accepted, these are believers, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. Now, with that same grace of God, I instruct you, because God has led me to instruct you on how to live practically, how to go through this thing we call the Christian, conduct yourselves as a disciple of Christ. And so he addresses the believers by, by say, stating this, I say to every one of you, and every means every. He's talking to all believers here, Okay. And the first part of the equation that is absolutely necessary to our usefulness to and for the Lord is to have the right attitude. The right attitude. 
And so Paul states, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. And family, the first point I want to make, it stresses the conflict between pride and humility. Do you hear me? Pride and humility, which is a struggle we all face because we're all egocentric to one degree or another. And if you say you're not, you've just exhibited pride. We all are egocentric. We all want to look to number one, take care of number one, all right? So we're all egocentric, so he deals with this issue of pride. And this is the, and it's really perpetuated by our society. Dog eat dog, succeed no matter what you got to do, got to be first, got to get to the top, right? It's just out there. Make it to the top, make a name for yourself. This is the mindset of the world, but it's not the mindset of the Christian. Do you hear me? And it's the opposite for us. We are to be disciples of Christ. For the Christian, we are called to walk in humility, to have a servant, a bondservant. And that was the lowest form of servant in the house that did exactly what the master called. That is to be our attitude, one of humility, not one of pride and arrogance. All right? And to get an idea of this, please turn to uh, Matthew 20 to 28. It's a real example of how easily... As people rise through, quote, the Christian ranks, we can get a, a prideful or haughty spirit. Matthew 20, 20 to 28, speaking about the sons of Zebedee. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with the sons, kneeling down, asked to favor him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at the left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. How bold. And they did. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for, to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the ruler of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, who wants to... Be become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. And as I read this, I thought, here they are, right? James and John, they figured, hey, we're number three and four called by the Lord. We're going to have a nice place. And you have to understand, those in the Jewish day, if you sat closer to the one given the banquet, you were more important. So they're like, hey, we were called number three and four. We want to sit close to the Lord. We're more important. We'll be up there and, whoa. And the Lord says, whoa, 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 whoa hogwash, take a step back. That's not what it's like. You want to be great in my kingdom, you be the least. You want to be first, make yourself last. And so Jesus goes on in verse 28, and he says this, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, he gave his life as a ransom for many. So we ought to have the attitude of Christ and not the attitude that's perpetuated by this world. Dog eat dog, be first, rise to the top, be number one at the cost of anything, whether it be your family, your reputation, etc. And one of the greatest examples of how our attitude should be is found in John chapter 13. Can you imagine the Lord of glory, the one who created everything, will bow down and wash the disgusting feet of his disciples. He set them the example. Listen to what it says. It says, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done. 
Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater if you do them. So here is the Lord of glory, washes the disciples' feet. He's saying, I've set the example for you. This is the attitude you ought to have, not to exalt yourself, but to humble yourself before God and before man to be used in service by him. And there is no greater, greater sign of humility exercised by our Lord than his passion as he went through the Passion Week and went to the cross of Calvary. Listen to Philippians 2, 6-8. to It says this, Who, being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant, doulos, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So what he's saying here is that the Lord God Almighty, humbled himself. He left the throne of heaven to become a man, lived a sinful life, a uh, sinless life, forgive me, with all the temptations that were thrown his way, and then went to the cross of Calvary so that we could have eternal life. He humbled himself to that point so we could be free. And we ought to have that same mindset as Christ Jesus. And you know why? Because look at Philippians 2 verses 3 and 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to the the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. There's no room for pride in the church or haughtiness in the church. If anybody, we as Christians, ought to have a humble attitude, especially with one another. Amen? There's no room for pride. Listen, pride is the very attribute that caused Lucifer to rebel and fall from heaven. Read Isaiah 14. I will ascend above the throne. I will, I will. Look at the word pride. You know what letters right in the middle? I. I is right in the middle of pride. Amen? And listen to what it says in Proverbs 16, 13. It says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. And if we look at Proverbs 6, 16 to 17, it says this, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. You know what the number one is? Haughty eyes, pride. God hates pride because if you read through to verse 19, it says, Because I also despise someone who causes dissension with, amongst the brothers. And pride will lead to dissension in the church. When we have haughty and prideful spirits, Listen, church leaders have fallen, ministries have crumbled, churches have split because people thought too highly of themselves or their ministry. May I bear my soul this morning? May I? Church? Nobody's perfect. We were in a board meeting and I over something. I really started getting loud. Bought it on nasty. Thank God one of our board members came to me, called me on the carpet. I asked his forgiveness. I asked the board's forgiveness. And now in my prayer life, I always lift up, Lord, keep me from a prideful and haughty spirit. But I want to thank that board member. He knows who he is. But it can happen to any one of us. So even when we're caught in something like that, please, brothers, sisters, gently go to whoever and say, look, this is what I saw. And prayerfully, when a brother or sister comes and a biblical principle is given to you, respond. Ask, repent, ask forgiveness, and move on. Move on. But it can, it can attack any one of us. And leaders, we have to be careful. As Christians, especially those in leadership and ministry positions, we must be careful of a prideful spirit. And we need to purpose to have a humble mindset that Christ, we be like Christ in his earthly ministry from beginning to end. He humbled himself at every point to come as a man 
and to go as a man. He humbled himself. And, and listen, it really goes for every one of us because every one of us is to be involved in ministry. So for all who are involved in ministry, we should have that humble mindset that Christ had. Amen? And so we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we, than we are. We are to think of ourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each one of us. Family, what Paul is teaching, teaching in this portion of Scripture is that no one is going to get on their high horse and think too high of themselves if we really think about ourselves it, with sober judgment and according to God's word. Because if we really look at ourselves from God's perspective, not being outside the realm of salvation, we are wretched sinners who deserve condemnation. And it is only by the grace of God that he has called us and allowed to be in his family, to be saved, to receive his righteousness, to be justified, whatever words you want to use. So if we look at ourselves from God's perspective, we have no right to think of ourselves more highly than anybody else because we're all even at the foot of the cross. Every one of us needs a salvation. Amen? And listen, even our call to service is by the grace of God. Because what did Paul say in his passage? He says, by the grace given me, Paul realized, he recognized, even his service as an apostle was by the grace of God. Even though God had trained him up by being under Gamaliel and understanding the word of God, that he had an intelligence about the word. He understood also that he was the same guy who persecuted the church, killed Christians, threw those in jail. And he said, it's only by the grace of God that he has given me this ability to be able to go out and be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was saved by grace and his ministry was by grace. There was nothing in him that was not given to him by God. And listen to how he described himself. The man who, what, you could say wrote most, or did write most of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is Paul the Apostle. Listen to what he writes about himself. 1 Timothy 1.15. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. If Paul said that, and in 1 Corinthians 59, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. In Ephesians 3.8, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. What grace? To preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Saved by grace, minister by grace. And it's all because of Jesus Christ, not because of us or anything we have done or can do. Family, Paul gets it. He's a sinner saved by grace. It's by grace he's endowed by the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's plan on his life. Therefore, he nor any one of us have the right to think we are something when we are not, to think we can do anything outside of Christ. Therefore, not one of us should think of ourselves more highly than we ought. It's a no-brainer conclusion. Yes? Based on the word of God. And listen to John 15, 15, 5. This is Jesus speaking. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Nothing of eternal value can be done outside of Christ. Church, we have to realize that in and of ourselves, and our flesh, but only in Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit can we be used to build the kingdom and honor the king. Amen? And so Paul states, do this in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. 
Basically, what Paul is saying here is that we must exercise the gifts and talents he's given us by faith because it's a measure of faith that he's given us, knowing that it's only in him that we can do anything. So it's by faith in Christ, saying, Lord, you are going to work in me and through me to take me through what you have called me to do in this life. It's by faith in him that we do these things. Listen to Philippians uh, 2.13. It says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As we're going to see, he gives us our gifts and talents. Why? To work in us and through us for his good pleasure to fulfill some purpose that he has for us as his disciples on this side of eternity. And 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12 says this, Therefore we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God, our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying here is go out and to the measure of faith God has given you, do what he's called you to do to complete the work he has for you. And we all know this one, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If the Lord calls you, he will equip you. Amen? But we have to do what I call the Indiana Jones that step of faith. We have to take that faith and do what he's called us to do and believe that he's going to do it. Amen? But we have to take a step of faith. And listen, the Holy Spirit's going to work through us, but we may have to do some things to exercise that faith, whether it's studying the word, right, whatever it is, to do what he's called us to do. So what we see here is that each person is to operate in the measure of his or her faith to accomplish the task in accordance with the gifts and talents that God has given us. And if we realize that those gifts and talents come from God, there is no room for boasting. Amen? Amen? And now with that foundation laid, Paul goes on and elaborates on our call. And now he's going to compare the church to the human body. All right, look at Romans 12, verses 4 and 5. For as we function, so we, being many, are one in body in Christ and individually members to one another. In these verses of Scripture, there are two essential truths about the believer's relationship to the universal church and the local assembly. First of all, we're made up of many members, yes? And just as the various parts of the human body have different yet important functions, so the numerous individuals who comprise the body of Christ also have unique and vital roles. We all need each other. Second, like the human body, the church's members are interrelated and dependent on one another. So if we were to look at the human body, it works together for the vitality, for the health, for the function of the whole body, yes? And please listen carefully. Listen carefully. That this union we have as members of his body is not organizational. This isn't an organization to be run like a corporation. Do you hear me? This is the body of Christ. And I may go off a little here, but I know there's a leadership conference. If they called it a shepherd's conference, I may go. I'm not called to be a leader. I'm called to be a shepherd, to shepherd this flock, yes? Do you hear what I'm saying? So it's not to be run like a, I'm a CEO of a corporation. I've been called to be a shepherd to pastor a flock. So that's the way it should operate, amen? And listen, this is not a civics or social club where we find commonality based on friendship, preference, we live in a certain neighborhood, our profession or business practice or even human need. This is a living, 
entity, if you will. We are the body of Christ. The union be- between true believers is born of and by the Spirit of God, right? For we are now called what? To one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Yes? This is the body of Christ. So our union is a constant and intimate fellowship with the Lord and with each other, and it draws its life, its purpose, and its meaning, and, its, and our significance from God himself. This is the body. We work together what, to build each other up and for his glory and honor. This is not a corporation. And, I, and it's scary that sometimes that churches are going to be run like a corporation. It is not. It's the body of Christ. And we do it his way by the word of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we'll see what happens from there. God will build this church. Amen. His way, through his word, through his power. Yes? Family, just like every cell and organ work in unison for the health of our physical bodies, so it is within the body of Christ. Look at verses 6 to 8. To explain the call to service and exercising the individual gifts God has bestowed upon us and the function of the good of the whole body. Listen to what it says. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so Paul, Paul clearly states that we all don't have the same function and compares it to a human body. Let me put it this way. There's a heart, there's a kidney, there's a lung, all different things, the muscles, the bones, all working together so that the whole body functions. But it's really interesting. Let me break it down, a little science background here. There are muscles, but you know there's smooth muscle tissue, there's cardiac muscle tissue, and there's striated muscle tissue that make up the different muscles in the body. And as I was thinking about this, I thought of the worship team. We call this our worship team, don't we? But some people play the violin, some people play the bass, some people sing but all the worship team working together as integral parts, what? To lead us into the worship of the Lord. And so it is with the body of Christ, whether it's the pulpit ministry. Jordan and I working together. To, we, we're now meeting like an hour and a half on a Tuesday, and it's been wonderful, where we talk about and pray for you guys about the function of the church. Whatever ministry it is, you work together. And then all the ministries work together for what? To glorify God and build up the body. Yes? God has gifted each one of us with an ability. Now, I'm going to take a page out of my pastor's book with two scripture verses. Listen to Acts 17, 26. For one man he made every nation of the human race to inhabit the entire earth, determining their set times and the fixed limits of the places where they should live. In other words, he's saying, we're all born in a certain time and place according to God's providence. Yes? And then listen to Psalm 139, 13 to 16. You form my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my, my substance being yet unformed. He's talking about the embryo there. And in your book they were all written. In the days fashioned me when as yet none have come to be. What he's saying is that uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the, the psalmist is saying, God put us together in the womb with specific gifts, talents, and abilities. He placed you in a certain time and place in history. Why? To be used by him in a particular way for his glory, for his honor, the edification of the church, and the reaching of the lost. Amen? So each one of us, 
of the church, as a member of that body as a whole, and each one of us has a task to perform. And as we couple this with the beginning of the message, we do it with an attitude of humility. We work together, and you know what? If we all come with a humble attitude to work together, the body of Christ functions as a whole. Just like when all the parts of the body are working, we feel great, don't we? We feel great. And I said, and when one is out of place, it throws off the whole body. And if you don't think so, anybody ever get a migraine? And I mean a migraine, not a sissy headache. I mean a migraine. You can't do a blessed thing, right? How about appendicitis? Try going out and doing something when your appendix is, you have true appendicitis or herniated disc. You can't even walk. Or a really good one now, we all know this one, the old stomach flu, when things are flying out of every orifice of your body, you can't do anything, right? You can't do anything. So when one part of the body goes down, man, the whole body's affected. So when one part of the body of Christ doesn't function in the capacity we, that we should, the whole body's affected. Do you hear me? So we come together. Do you think we ended up here at Neighborhood by chance? God is sending people our way, sent us this way to work together so that we can glorify him, edify each other, and reach the lost. Amen? Now, just to drive this home, right? Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6. says, There are different kinds of gifts, but of the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, God is at work. So if you will, please turn with me. I want to look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 14 to 27. A long passage, but this just drives the point home. Even so, the body is not made of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no what? No division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, everyone should rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. I'll let Scripture speak for itself. Each one of us has an integral part here at Neighborhood and in the global church as a whole. Amen? And we're all significant. No one of us is more important than the other. I don't care that I stand up here in this pulpit. I'm no more important than somebody who's doing something else within the function of the church because each one of us has been gifted to do a specific function. Joe sits there quiet. You cannot believe, unless you're around this building, how much he does in the course of a week. And that's the gift God gave him. I couldn't do... I mean, see that door over there? It was the day. We had Nassau County come in. Steve got the report. They wanted the door there for security reasons. One day later, the door was there. In a day, Joe put it up. That thing would be look like this if I ever tried to do it. 
right? And it'd only be this high so I could get through it, all right? All right. So now as Paul goes on, listen, every one of us is important here. And he goes on now through the Holy Spirit. He's going to actually discuss uh, some of the gifts that are given to the church. And the first gift that Paul talks about is prophecy in verse 6b of Romans 12. And let me begin by saying this, that the term prophet in the Old Testament and New Testament are significantly different. Did you hear me? There are no more prophets today. We've been given the full counsel of God's word, all that God wants us to be. What a prophet in the church would do today is one of two things. He'll speak forth, or she will speak forth, the word of God to a situation. So if there's something going on, someone may speak a word that is apropos for the situation that is at hand, either for the church or for what? An individual. The second thing is they may have the gift of utterance, where they're going to speak in the known language of the people who were there. And it's really to edify, exhort, or comfort a believer or the body of believers. Do you hear me? It's not to announce some future revelation. It's to exhort or comfort within the body of Christ. So in the Old Testament, yes, there were prophets who were going to proclaim what God was going to do. There were no more Isaiahs. There were no more Ezekiels. There were no more Micahs. We have the full counsel of God's word. Now a prophet is used to edify the body of Christ. Yes? All right? And now um, the next gift Paul will speak to is encouragement. And it's the same root word from the Greek that talks about the paraclete. Do you ever hear that about the Holy Spirit? He's our paraclete, he's our helper. And really, it's a special ability given by God to come alongside another, to advise, to inspire, to comfort, to motivate a person to fulfill their potential. Listen to this. When a person speaks into someone, and I love it, when I meet with Jordan, he says, I want to meet with our youth and speak into them. He so desires to impart the word of God to our kids. He so desires that when they mature, they will walk on their own with Jesus Christ. It's the desire of his heart. So it's, a, it's wonderful. He wants to speak into them the things of God's word. Right now, he's taking them through the book of James in youth group on Wednesday night. Such a fundamental book. And it's, it's just great what he's doing with them because he really wants to see them mature. Fun and games on Friday, word of God on Wednesday. So it's, it's a good thing, amen? And um, it really want to encourage someone. Now, And if we look into Scripture, anybody remember Barnabas? Barnabas in the Scriptures in the book of Acts? He was born with the name Joseph. They, if you go through the Scriptures, we know the story of Paul, Barnabas, they take little John Mark along, Barnabas' cousin, right? He goes along with them, and he's on the missionary trip, and then he, he, he gets a little sad, and he goes home. So the next time they go out, Barnabas says, um, let's take Mark with us. And Paul's like, no way. He's a wuss. We're not taking him with us. He quit on us the last time. So what happens? They split. Paul ends up going with Silas, but Barnabas takes Mark. The same Mark that wrote one of the Gospels. The same Mark that at the end of Paul's life, he says, bring my parchments and bring Mark with you also because he's an encouragement to me. So Barnabas took this young man who had quit. He encouraged him. He inspired him to go on with Christ, and he became a stalwart in the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we're talking about. When someone has stumbled, someone has felt, someone wants to throw in a towel, and we come alongside them, inspire them, and encourage them to go on. A son of encouragement. It's a gift of God. Amen? All right. And then Paul gives the next gift, which is mercy. And mercy is the gift of extending compassion to someone, whether it's being empathetic or sympathetic 
or forgiving. Mercy means that when someone offends you, you forgive. You extend that compassion to them by not holding them accountable, just like the Lord doesn't hold us accountable for the many sins against him, yes? And if you want to look into the scriptures, I'll give you some to look at. Look at when Jesus feeds the four and five thousand. He says he had compassion on them. He had a guttural response to their needs. Well, how about when he's going to Jerusalem? He's going to face the cross, and here's this guy crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. He's blind. So Jesus, heading for the cross to fulfill the salvation of our souls, he stops, and he has mercy on this blind man, and he gives him his sight. And another one that really touches my heart, that woman caught in adultery. She should have got stoned according to the law of God. But Jesus intervenes and says, he was without sin, cast the first stone. He had mercy on it, but he did say, well, go and sin no more. He had mercy on it. The same kind of mercy that we're to show to each other and to others. Which one of us has not been shown mercy, first of all, by the Lord or by other people in our lives? Yes? Praise God. All right. I totally got off here, but that's okay. I think I skipped a couple of gifts, guys, so we're going to have to go back. All right, hold, give me one second. All right, there we are. Okay, the gift of giving. And this simply means to give from our earthly possessions to somebody else, to give out our earthly possessions. Listen, when we give, we should do it generously, as the word says, but also we should not draw attention to ourselves. We don't do it so, hey, hey, look at this guy. He's nice. He's shelling out. We do it. The right hand doesn't know what the left hands do it. And we do it to meet a need within the church. Do you hear me? To meet a need. And instead, we should answer the call by meeting someone's need for their benefit and for God's glory. Listen, because even our possession and our finances are given to us by God. He's the one who has given us the ability. He's the one who has opened doors to our jobs. He's the one who blesses us. So we are not to take what he blesses us with just to amass wealth. And I really agree with Mike that God blesses us so we can bless others. And listen, here's a good measure of how attached you are to your wealth. How willingly or reluctantly are you to give it away? Ouch, right? That's a good measure of how we are attached to the things that we have. How willingly or reluctantly are we to give them away? All right? And I know that this church, I said, does two things great. Praise and gives. When a need arises, we're willing to give. Amen? All right? And listen to what um, Scripture says. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves when we just bless other people. Amen? Because he's basically, we're doing what he, he's done. And the next gift is leadership, and I believe this speaks for itself. It's how to administrate and govern the local assembly. God has gifted certain men and women within the church to help administer the church's uh, functions. And one of the best guys I ever knew, you, some of you may know him from the past, Tony Philodoro. The guy loved the Lord, was full of wisdom, and would give advice out of a humble attitude for the, for the benefit of the whole body. He was wonderful. That there are still times today I will call Tony and say, Tony, I need some advice. And he will get on the phone and he'll call me if I need to go one way and tell me if I need to go another. But I listen to him because I know he does it out of glorifying God and a humble attitude and spirit. Right? And even leaders in the church should have a humble spirit. Nobody is above another. Amen? All right. And the, um, the other gift is serving, and that's when we do and meet the needs of others. 
we go out of our way to fulfill what God has called us for, and I'm going to embarrass Joe Senior. That man is 89 years old. He was here at 6 o'clock yesterday morning, cooked breakfast, washed dishes, helped me move tables, and he, he has a servant's heart. He's an example to us as younger Christians. Amen? Another person who will embarrass is my little friend over there, Michelle. You know, Michelle is, I'm going to probably get in trouble. She's doing in four hours what we were paying someone to do in 18 hours and helps with the integral functioning of this church, is willing to give up her time to do this, not getting paid for it, willing to do to see the functions of the church. She has administrative abilities. Last week, Jordan's card got hacked. I'm like, I don't know what to do. Boom, on it. Call the company. Oh, look at this. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, forget it. This thing is like, it tickles my mustache. Can't stay on my big ears. I'm not shaving my mustache. When you shave yours, I'll shave mine. <laughs> oh, all right. So listen, I don't know where I was. So she, but she has these administrative duties within the church. And she does them. When Jordan's card got hacked, she got on. She took care of it all. I would have been, well, I don't know. You know and she can be very firm with the people on the other end, so it's good. But there are certain people who have given leadership and administrative duties, and they do them as unto the Lord. Amen? Family, look, as we conclude, let me say this. There are specific individuals that have been gifted with specific things to do. But if you look at these gifts that Paul talks about, they really exemplify Christ. And are we in Christ? Then we can exemplify those things in our life. We can serve. We can give. We can have leadership abilities, right? We can show mercy. We can do these things that Paul outlines because we're in Christ, but there are those that God will use specifically at a greater degree in those areas, yes? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Family, each one of us has been created by God in our specific time and place, specific gifts and talents to be used for his glory and the proliferation of his kingdom. All right, and as we've studied this morning, we're to pray and evaluate what God has for us, looking at the gifts and talents we have in parents. Look at the abilities and gifts your children have and try to nurture them in those ways so they'll walk in that and be used by God on their call in life, yes? And church, if you need inspiration, if you need to see an example of all we discussed this morning about someone exercising their gift, about someone walking with a humble attitude, can you look at this table in front of me? Because it represents humility. Nobody more submitted to his Father's will and exemplified the gifts of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. And he's our example. He's the one we ought to follow. So if you want a good example in Scripture, please read the four Gospels. The Lord Jesus had a call on his life, and that was to be the propitiation for our sins, yes? And to be the Savior of the world. He answered that call. He humbled himself and did his Father's will. Even when he was in the garden, he was crying out, Not your will, my will be done. He knew it was to come, but he did his Father's will. He did it perfectly for him and for us, for our salvation, yes? He accomplished it all. And so, church, each one of us has been called. Each one of us has been saved by grace, and now by that same grace, the Lord desires to use us to edify the body, glorify him, and reach the lost. Amen? God has called each one of us, and we need each other. I need you guys. We need each other for this to function as a local expression of God, yes? 
because each one of us brings something unique to the table. Quiet little blonde lady over here, our bookkeeper. Thank you, Lord. Marilyn, thank you for all that you do. She runs the scene behind the scenes, and it's a blessing. Amen? So let me ask you this morning, are you going to rise to the occasion, step out in the measure of faith that he has given you, and use your gifts, your talents and abilities to glorify him and build up your brothers and sisters? And please remember, he did it. He did it. And that is why we can celebrate our salvation this morning, because he rose to the call. He humbled himself. He came to serve and not to be served and fulfilled his Father's will perfectly. And he left us the example that, like him, we should walk in humility, seek what God's will is with the gifts and talents he's given us, use them for his glory, use them to build up the body of Christ, and use them to reach the lost. Amen? So as we come to communion this morning, let's just meditate on that word, that where, what does God want from me in the call he's put on my life to be used by him for his glory and honor, and to build up the body of Christ. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you set the example, that you humbled yourself, that you stepped off the throne of heaven, Lord, and clothed yourself in human flesh and came amongst us. You walked amongst us, a carpenter's son, did the work as any man would do, Lord, you knew, you were tempted in every way, yet without sin. You understand all the things that go on in this thing we call the human life. And you came for one purpose, to do your Father's will. And when you were called, my God, you answered. And at that age, you stepped out and fulfilled your ministry perfectly. You taught, you gave the example, you showed the way, and then you went the way to Calvary so that we could have eternal life in you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, my God. No deceit was found in your mouth. You didn't return insult for insult or mocking. But you showed the right attitude to your children, how we should be, how we should speak, how we should act in times of testing and adversity, Lord God. The humble attitude, the humble spirit. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. And we pray today, my God, that you would search our hearts. Lord, that you would show us what you would have for us as your body working together to glorify you and edify each other and to reach the lost. My God, that each one of us would step out in the measure of faith you have given us to complete your will. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you because if you called us, if you've made us in a certain way, you will equip us as we step out in faith to do your will, Father. And we thank you this morning. Thank you, Lord. And we just want to give you all the glory and the honor and the praise this morning, Lord God, as we come to this table, that you fulfilled the purpose for our salvation, that in you, Mike, and are justified before your Father. Thank you, Lord. May we be like you, walk like you, talk like you, and someday, yes, Lord, we will even have our glorified bodies and be like you forever. And we just thank you, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. So at this point, if you'll make your way